Praise God. We're going to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Oh my goodness, I've got these all. Yep. I think I... Mm-mm-mm. Give me a second here. It is raining. I can see when they open the door. Okay, I think I've got it. Okay. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Tiny, this morning. We're going to 1 Kings, the 21st chapter. Read the first 16 verses. This may be an old story to you. We'll find out after we get done reading it. Talk about Jezebel. How much do you know about Jezebel? Did you know that Jezebel is alive and well today? In spirit. And I hope she's not with you. But you need to be careful. Because that Jezebel spirit is easily found. And easily picked up. Alright, listen to the story. 1 Kings chapter 21, the six, first 16 verses. This is the message translation. It says, and then to top it off came this. Naboth, the Jezreelite, who owned a vineyard in Jezreel that bordered the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. One day Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard so I can use it as a kitchen garden. It's right next to my house. So convenient. In exchange... I'll give you a far better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you money for it. But Naboth told Ahab, not on your life. So help me God, I'd never sell the family farm to you. Ahab went home in a black mood, sulking over Naboth's, the Jezreelites' words. I'll never turn over my family inheritance to you. So he went to bed stuffed his face in his pillow and refused to eat. Jezebel, his wife, came to him. She said, what's going on? Why are you so out of sorts, refusing to eat? He told her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite. I said, give me your vineyard. I'll pay you for it. Or if you'd rather, I'll give you another vineyard in exchange. He said, I'll never give you my vineyard. Jezebel said, is this any way for a king of Israel to act? Aren't you the boss? On your feet. Eat. Cheer up. I'll take care of this. I'll get the vineyard of this Naboth, the Jezreelite, for you. She wrote letters over Ahab's signature, stamped them with his official seal, and sent them to the elders in Naboth's city and to the civic leaders. She wrote, call for a fast day and put Naboth, at the head table. Then seat a couple of stool pigeons across from him. In front of everybody, they'll say, you, you blaspheme God, God and the king. They'll throw him out and stone him to death. And they did it. The men of the city, the elders and the civic leaders, they followed Jezebel's instructions that she wrote in the letter sent to them. They called for a fast day and they seated Naboth at the head table. Then they brought in the two stool pigeons, seated them opposite Naboth, in front of everybody, 
The two degenerates accused him. He blasphemed God and the king. The company threw him out in the street, stoned him mercilessly, and he died. When Jezebel got word that Naboth had been stoned to death, she told Ahab, Go for it, Ahab. Take the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, for your own. The vineyard he refused to sell you. Naboth is no more. Naboth is dead. The minute Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he set out for the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, and he claimed it for his own. Lord Jesus, speak to us this morning. Lord, not about an ancient story that happened long ago, but about a principle that is still working even among us today. Lord, help us to cleanse our hearts of any undoing, wrongdoing, any wrong thinking, we pray. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, through this word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's an interesting story. Uh, seems like just a story, doesn't it? Just uh, kind of routine history. This is something that happened long ago in the history of Israel. Uh, this uh, guy didn't want to sell his vineyard and... and uh, the king's wife fixed it for him. How many of you have never heard this story before? This is the first time you've heard it. All right, so some of you. That's just kind of new to you. Uh, it's a well-known story. And uh, it hardly seems worth our consideration in this world today. Of course, we're so much above that. We would never have anybody killed in order to get our own way. We, we wouldn't allow that kind of thing to happen. Uh, we just wouldn't, wouldn't stand for it. We, we're much more civilized than that, I'm sure. It's an easy story to understand, but there are parallels of this kind of behavior all throughout history. There are examples of this kind of behavior in the news every day. You know, and, and the, in fact, this particular story probably seems tame compared to some of the realities of this kind of behavior that is happening today. You know, take, for example, we, we can all pick on Vladimir Putin because he's over there and we're over here and, and he's a bad guy and everybody knows it, right? And uh, so, so it's, you won't be upset if I pick on him this morning. Uh, and uh, you see a similar set of circumstances with Vladimir Putin. I mean, he's sitting there in Russia. Russia is a prosperous country, I think... Uh, third or fourth largest economy in the world. Uh, understand that he flies around in his 747 jet, which is gold uh, overlaid on the interiors. I mean, it's about, if you think our president flies in class, you ought to see what Mr. Putin flies in uh, and lives in palaces uh, across the country, uh, has vast hordes of servants and people surrounding him. I was... <laughs> Uh, reading the other day about how he has a food taster that tastes all his food for him before he eats uh, for fear that somebody might try to poison him. And, you know, you thought that only happened back in the days of the kings. No, it happens today. Reality is that our president also has a food taster that samples all of his food before he eats it uh, because that's a serious problem that somebody might somehow contaminate uh, these the food and, and uh, that it would be poisoned. And so Mr. Putin has all of these privileges, all of this. I mean, I'm, my goodness, hosting the world's Olympics. 
uh, in his country. What an honor. What a, a grand show. Uh, what a stamp of approval on his leadership and so forth. Uh, you know, he was president of Russia, elected one time. Then when his term ended, he didn't like the term limits they had. So he got busy and changed the laws in Russia and rearranged the term limits so he can now be president of Russia as long as he wants to. So uh, we can use him for a grand bad example, right? And he's sitting there, he's looking at the, the area of the Ukraine, Crimea, which is a, almost an island resort area, a very, very uh, fancy uh, resort area. And Russia has two military bases in Crimea, which they rent from the Ukraine at the price of a billion dollars a year. And uh, he's looking at all that, and he has everything he needs, but he decides, well, I want Crimea too. I, I want to take that in. And so uh, through the back door and underhanded methods, they uh, work politically, and he gets somebody in favor of him elected to the presidency in Ukraine, and then when the people find out about it and they kick that guy out of office, uh, he sends troops over and forments riots and so forth, and then sends his troops in to try to save the day, and ultimately he takes over Crimea. And now it looks like he's trying to take over the rest of Ukraine and so forth. Well, you see the pattern then of Ahab in the behavior of Vladimir Putin, that he, he can't just go in and say, I'll take this country, that would be fighting terms, that would be war on anybody. But if he can manipulate it from behind the scenes and get what he wants, well then, okay, let's do it that way. And now it looks like, well, that's what the people wanted all along. They just wanted Crimea to be a part of Russia. And I'm sure that there were many people that did want that. But it's this kind of manipulation. It's kind of this backdoor operation that uh, is going on. And... Uh, if you can't get it by legitimate means, if you can't buy it, if you can't trade land for it, if you can't do it legally, then go about it by underhanded methods. Go about it by infiltrating the area with unrest and revolt and so forth uh, and starting a war. So there's a pretty good example of the behavior of Jezebel still alive and well on planet Earth today. Can you see that one? Yes. And, of course, you could see it in in the behavior of King David. Now let me remind you that King David lived four or five hundred years before King Ahab did. King Ahab is a successor to King David hundreds of years down the line. But uh, think about King David's behavior as he goes up on the roof and he sees a beautiful woman and he said, oh, wow, oh, nice, I, I want her, I want her. So he sends... Uh, people over to inquire, and lo and behold, you discover, well, you can't have her. She's a married woman. She's, she's married, and, and uh, that's not appropriate. Oh, oh, well, well, I'll fix that. And he sets about to come up with a scheme and a method of rearranging circumstances. And as you follow David's story with Bathsheba, you see his underhanded, ways of dealing with the situation and ultimately getting uh, her husband Uriah killed so that he can legally take her into his household. That process is being repeated all over the world. 
And while that isn't new or news, it's something that we need to be keenly aware of, perfectly aware of, because it happens in your life and in my life too, if you're not very careful. Those very types of circumstances can weave themselves into you, and you're thinking, that, well, if that's what it takes to get what I want, then I'll do what I have to do. The world thinks that way. Politically correct thinking today is if you want to get ahead on the job, if you, there's somebody over there and, and they've got a position or they're about to get a position that you want, why, you start telling stories about them. You start to planting things in their, uh, you know, so that they'll be discovered and they'll be ratted out and they'll be disgraced. And somehow in, in that disgrace, somehow you'll be able to step in and save the day and take over their position. That's done every day in business. It's a constant problem. It's a Hollywood lives and breathes that kind of stuff. The problem is when it begins to infiltrate God's people. And by the way, Ahab was God's people. They're the king over Israel. They were to set an example for their entire nation. Uh, so that process is being repeated constantly. James chapter 4 just comes to that same issue. So not only was it an issue in Ahab's day, in the early church days, uh, James the apostle says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Isn't it because you've got all excited about something that uh, you shouldn't have in the first place? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't get your way, you make it where you will get your way. There's a saying that we laugh about quite often that says, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Folks, that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mama can go in and, and make everybody miserable until she gets what she wants. That's ungodly. Recognize it for what it is. Of course, it doesn't just apply to mama. Papa can do that just as well as mama can. He learned, he learned how to do that just as well. And so uh, we need to examine our lives and say, Lord, at what area is that kind of behavior festering in me? Have I ever allowed that? See, there's a, a spiritual principle at work. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then it says, anything other than that comes of sin. When we let it be more than a yes or a no, it's, when it's a maybe, maybe it's a what if, what if. We, we wind ourselves up allowing the enemy to take over and get in control. Wednesday night we were talking in our men's group and, and I reminded them of a statement that I've made a number of times. I hope you've heard it before. But that all sin is based upon trying to meet your legitimate needs through an illegitimate method. All sin is based upon you trying to meet your legitimate need through an illegitimate method. Well, I didn't get my way. My way is I, I have a need. I, I want this. I, I need this. You know, it may be for companionship. As David had a hundred wives, so I don't know why he needed another companion. But nevertheless, you know, say, oh, well, I need this. I, 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 I can't live without this. Yes, you have needs. But there is a right way 
and a wrong way to fulfill those needs. And when you go about it the wrong way, not only have you messed up your own life, but you've broken your relationship with God and you have brought, well, I'm sure you could tell stories as well as I could of when you do it this way, you wind up with baggage that you can't ever get rid of. You wind up making mistakes that you can't ever undo. And it haunts you. Well, the story's simple. Ahab sees a vineyard. He thinks, boy, that would make a great kitchen garden. Is that bad? No, that's good. He looks out of his window of his palace. He says, well, look at that down there. Ooh, wouldn't it be cool if I could just have my household garden right here next door to the palace? It would be so convenient. It would be so nice. I think I'll go and buy that piece of property. Good idea, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. There wasn't anything wrong with his desire. I mean, there's a legitimate need to have produce brought into the king's house and provided for the king and for his staff and so forth. That's a legitimate need. And so he says, well, okay, here looks like this is the way to do that. I'll just go and buy this vineyard. And so he goes to Naboth and uh, tries to strike a deal. I'll uh, buy it, pay you a good price for it, or if that's not what you want, I'll give you a better vineyard. I own other vineyards, and I'll give you one that's better than this vineyard, and you'll be better off than you've ever been before. Such a deal. It's almost uh, one of those mafia deals, you know, an offer that you can't refuse. You know? And so he goes to Naboth and places his offer, and Naboth says no. Well, it would seem like at first glance, perhaps, that Naboth has just been stubborn. Naboth uh, maybe has a little pick with King Ahab somehow. He's not happy that King Ahab is king. Uh, maybe he's got his turn to jab back at the king somehow. And so if the king wants my vineyard, well, I'll just tell him no. I'll just be stubborn. But no, that's not the case. Not at all. In fact, Ahab comes back and he says he won't sell it to me because it's his family inheritance. Now, in case you don't know that already, uh, in verse 3 he says, Naboth said, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. I, I can't give away what I've inherited. Within Israel, uh, the land belonged to the Lord. And the land was appointed to different families and different tribes in different areas. But it was a clear understanding on their part that they didn't own it. They were the trustees for God. They took care of it for him. And it was a sacred trust that God gave them. Leviticus 25 says the land shall not be sold into perpetuity, meaning forever. The land should never be sold. For the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. I remind you ever so often that you didn't sleep in your own bed last night. When you think about it, you slept in God's bed. You didn't drive to church in your car this morning. You drove to church in God's car. You're not wearing your clothes. You're wearing God's clothes that he's allowed you to have for a while. When we stop and analyze things as they read, but we tend to think, oh, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's all mine. And so... King Ahab said, sell me what's yours. But Naboth, being properly reared and having a proper understanding of his position over that property, says, I can't sell it. King Naboth, I just can't. 
It would be ungodly of me to sell it. It's, in fact, it's ungodly of you to ask me to sell it because you, the king of Israel, know the laws of Israel. So I can't sell it. And Ahab understood that message. In fact, Ahab went home. Instead of pulling out his sword or having his bodyguards cut off Naboth's ears in order to get the, the land, uh, he took no for an answer. And he went home and he pouted. He threw himself down on his bed. He uh, had a temper tantrum. I don't know. He stomped his feet. He punched a hole in the wall. Except those things were made out of stone at that time, so probably not that. But somehow he expressed his unhappiness with the situation. He refused to go to dinner. He was in a pout. Did, have you ever been in a pout? Did you know you're always wrong when you're in a pout? Did you know there's never a time when you pouting is the right thing to do? That you can never justify a pout? You can explain it. Well, I'm pouting because I didn't get what I want. You may understand why you're pouting, but do you know that you're always wrong when you're pouting? That's always wrong. It's never right. Always wrong. And so here's Naboth, or Ahab, pouting. And here comes Jezebel. Oh, that queen just coming up to see what she could do for her king. Just coming up to see what was on the mind of this, uh, this uh, mighty king of Israel. You know, Ahab knew the answer. He knew that it was wrong to sell the property. He agreed, apparently, that it was wrong, but he still didn't like the answer. You ever had God give you an answer you didn't like? Yeah? You say, no, man, I don't, I don't like that. I, you just don't understand. I, I've told some stories about <laughs> when we had to take the sprung structure down and I was encouraged to do so by my supervisor. That just, oh, my goodness. That was so hard for me. So hard. He just doesn't understand. He, do, he doesn't know what the situation is. He, he doesn't understand what we're up against here. And so... Ahab knew the problem, but he just didn't like the answer. So he goes home and he pouts, and here comes Jezebel. Well, aren't you the king of Israel? You're the king. You can do whatever you want. I mean, it's basically thumb up means somebody lives, thumb down means they die, right? King has that all kind of a power and authority. He, he can just do what he wants in his kingdom. It's your kingdom, Ahab. You can do as you please. Here, let me fix it for you. And so... Ahab allows Jezebel to fix things for him. Now, whether he did it knowingly or unknowingly doesn't really make any difference. Uh, whether he took off his signet ring and said, here, queen baby, go out there and fix things in my name, you know, or whether she secretly took his ring and did that, whether she forged his signature onto a document or he willingly signed it, we don't know. But it doesn't make any difference because he allowed her to do that. And you could say, well, listen, I didn't really uh, change the circumstance. I didn't really manipulate. Somebody else kind of manipulated it behind the scenes, and, and that's okay. No, it's not. No, you're always responsible for you. You're always responsible for you. There have been a few occasions over the year where somebody has gone to somebody else and said, Pastor Dean said so and so. You know, what, what does that mean? 
Well, they took my authority, my signet ring, and they put the stamp on it. Said, Pastor Dean said, you can't do this. Pastor Dean, wait a minute. Pastor Dean has his own two lips, and he speaks for himself. And uh, if he wants to say something, he'll be saying it. But you don't have the authority to go around and say, Pastor Dean said so. And so, by the way, you don't have the authority to go around and say, God said this. God said that. Unless you're absolutely certain that God said for you to say it. And by the way, when you do that, nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, almost all the time, they're not going to like your message. You know all the prophets died, right? When, when they gave the message from God, they all, all got killed because they gave a message that was not acceptable or not desirable. So you're going to want to be real careful about what you say about what God says. You want to be sure that you know you're speaking for God. Not that it doesn't happen, but that you need to be very careful about it. And so uh, you don't get to speak on somebody else's behalf, and you can't allow somebody else to speak on your behalf. You're responsible for you. And if something is done in your name or under your authority, you're responsible for that. I uh, was remembering... uh, Many years ago, when I was, my wife says we were married at the time. I don't remember. Uh, but uh, somebody in, in the church, we had two youth groups. There were two churches, and, and our youth groups got together quite often, and we, we kind of celebrated together two churches that had fellowship with, uh, within the youth groups, and that was great fun. And uh, one of the leaders of the youth group had uh, become fascinated, and I can't, uh, the name will come to me sometime later, I'm sure, fascinated by a female hypnotist that had a little uh, show out on the strip, you know, where they come in and they hypnotize people and make them cluck like a chicken or or bark like a dog or whatever it is, you know, showbiz kind of things that they do. And you look at that and go, oh, my goodness, isn't that amazing? And uh, they do all kind of weird things. How many of you have seen a hypnotist show? Well, don't raise your hand because I'm going to come down hard on that in a minute. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it was that kind of a thing. And so this, this fella had gone out, and, and he had made personal friends with this lady. And he'd studied what she did, and he'd read her book. And she'd given him some pointers and so forth. So he had learned how to hypnotize people. And so as our youth groups got together in his home, he decided to demonstrate for us a little bit of this uh, magical hypnosis therapy and uh, and he pulled off some of those parlor games and people clucked like chickens and barked like dogs and, and made fools of themselves. And, uh, and it was laughable and it was entertaining and so forth. And, and as I recall, he uh, caused one young lady, you know, to stiffen her body. And, and we picked up her feet and her head and laid her across the backs of two chairs. And she laid there like a tabletop, just as rigid as could be, until he snapped his fingers and she... Uh, went totally limp, and you go, my goodness, wow, there's, there's something to that hypnosis stuff in there. That's amazing. Entertaining, right? But process it. In a minute, he said, I, I want to hypnotize everybody here tonight. I want to hypnotize you all. So, so would you just kind of uh, bow your head and close your eyes? <clears throat> you know, that evangelical term. And... Uh, and just listen to the sound of my voice, and he began to talk uh, routinely and repetitiously and so forth. And, and now you're getting sleepy, and you're getting sleepy, and you're drifting off to sleep and so forth. And I was 
in that place. I said, wait a minute. Where am I going? What's this about? No, I'm responsible for me. You don't get to make me look like a fool. You don't get to cause me to do anything that I don't want to do, and I refuse. Well, others got hypnotized, but I didn't. I just sat there with this cold attitude, you know, like, well, who do you think you are? And uh, wouldn't allow that to happen. You're always responsible for your behavior. You may be able to say, well, a, a, a hypnotist come and he hypnotized me and, and what I was doing was, uh, it wasn't me, it was the hypnotist doing it. No, you allowed that to happen. You allowed that to happen. And you're responsible for it. You'll recognize immediately the same truth in drugs and in alcohol, right? I don't know. Oh, well, I was drunk out of my mind. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not responsible for that behavior. Yes, you are. You allowed that to happen. Well, well, but somebody gave me a pill, and, and I didn't know what it would do, and, and so I'm not responsible for what happened while I was under that influence. Yes, you are. You're responsible for you all the time. So if you don't know what that pill's going to do for you, you best not take it. If you don't know what that alcohol is going to do to you, you better stay away from it. You know? Because that doesn't become an excuse before God. Well, it wasn't really me. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. There's a reason they call alcohol spirits, you know. There's a reason behind that. Jezebel arranges a feast. Ah, sounds good, right? Especially when you realize that this feast was a spiritual feast. Basically, what she did was call a solemn assembly. She said... Bring the whole community together. There's sin in the camp. There's a problem in Israel. And we've got to find it. So you all start fasting and you all come together and you all have this banquet and God will reveal the sinner. I mean, that was basically the kind of a feast that she called. Was you just come to, come to the meeting and, and we'll all get real spiritual and God will give us a revelation about what's going on. But as you know, she had set it up behind the scenes that these two scoundrels come in and, oh, put Naboth at the head table. Well, he wasn't anybody big. He'd never sat at a head table before. He thought, wow, I'm the king Ahab must really like me now. You know? And these two scoundrels jump up and accuse him falsely and the crowd jumps up. We found the guilty culprit. And they take him out and they stone him to death. Our manipulation can sound very spiritual sometimes. We can manipulate with spiritual words and language. We can manipulate making it sound so right. How often have you heard somebody say, well, let me pray about that. Hmm. Let me pray about that. You know what that means most of the time? The answer is no, but I, I need a few minutes to be able to blame it on God. That's, that's usually what it means. No, does that mean you should never pray about things? No, certainly not. That's not what that means. You do genuinely need to pray. But quite often people will use that as an excuse. Well, let me pray about it. They're not going to pray at all. They're just going to come back and say, no, God said no. You want to be real careful when you say God said no. You better hope he said no. 
before you start quoting him. By the way, both Jezebel and Ahab were severely dealt with by God. In fact, God's judgment on Jezebel was, the dogs, you will be dog food. The dogs will eat your flesh on the ground that you stole from Naboth. And that literally came to pass. Literally came to pass. Remember that they, they said that the vineyard was right next door to the palace? They threw Jezebel's body out of the upstairs window and the dogs ate her where she fell in Naboth's vineyard. God doesn't take lightly to us manipulating circumstances, conniving, trying to make it work our way. And yet it's so common, it's so prevalent in our world today that this is the way the world operates. And it easily infiltrates your life and mine as well, if you're not careful. Jezebel went so far as to hire others to do her dirty work. You know, a good manipulator will not manipulate it themselves. They'll talk somebody else into doing it for them. Oh, they said so and so and so and so. Well, you go over there and tell them such and such and such. They won't even do their own dirty work. That's manipulation. God hates it. It's a tool of the enemy. It's not of God. And when it comes to the church, when it comes to God's people, we need to be really, really careful that we don't allow that to enter into our lives. Let your yes be a yes. Let your no be a no. Anything in between that that keeps on going will wind up in sin. Don't go there. Let the Lord lead you. You don't need to say, Thus saith the Lord, I'm not going to do that. You just need to say, No. Thank you. I, I won't do it. And allow yourself to walk with God's leadership and God's hand upon you. Well, they stoned Naboth to death on the word of two, two witnesses. You know that people are dying today by the thousands simply because they named the name of Jesus? Last Sunday, last Sunday in Baghdad, nearly a thousand Christians were killed for going to church. That's pretty intimidating. I wonder if everybody that came to Grapevine this morning got killed on the way out the door, how many would show up next week? Well, certainly none of those, right? And nobody else that heard about it. So people, Christians are being killed around the world at record numbers. Record numbers because their world is being manipulated. Stories are being told that are not true. I say that to say times are difficult. There's every possibility that you will face some kind of spiritual crisis in your life where you'll say, I am a Christian or I'm not a Christian. I mean, we've talked about that all of my life. And it was a far, far away kind of possibility in the sweet by and by somewhere. That possibility is here and it's now. You know, when a young lady in Columbine stands up and somebody pointing a gun in her face saying, are you a Christian? She could very easily said, no, no. Used a couple of foul words and proved her point and sat down. But no, she said, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian, yeah. It cost her her life. Uh, 
I was interested here that the IRS this week decided that uh, they should start prosecuting churches for being involved in political activities. This is a result of a, the stirring of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. The atheist group has said, wait, wait a minute, you're letting these guys have tax-exempt status and yet they're, they're political activists. And so now they're apparently going to start prosecuting churches for uh, political speech of any sort. So what else is coming? I don't know. I, I think back to uh, Pastor Greg Reed's uh, message for us here uh, last spring as he came and shared with us on the living in a, in a dangerous world. That's still on the podcast if you want to hear it again. But just some of the things that he, he told us would be happening are already beginning to happen. We're already seeing those things take place here and now. And so your walk before God will be challenged. Don't try to manipulate it. Don't try to get things the way you want them to be. God is not pleased with that. That's the enemy's tactics. You know? You say, well, how do I get what I want? Keep on praying about it. Keep on asking God. He has a supernatural way of supplying your need. And when he does it, you'll know you didn't do anything to deserve it or you didn't do anything to fix it that he supplied the need. But it worries me that the church can get so easily caught up in manipulation. Manipulating. Well, well, we'll turn this screw here. We'll turn up the heat over here. We'll force this to happen over there. We'll make it look like this. And God's not in that, folks. God can't bless that. God won't bless that. We walk in His truth and in His righteousness. Lord Jesus, we thank You that Your Word is, is not soft-pedaled, that it isn't uh, somehow made easy, but that you expose sin and error in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that even as your word has been shared this morning, that we would recognize the elements that the enemy would try to use within us and that we would flee from that, recognizing that that's not of God, that's not your plan, that's not your purpose, Lord Jesus, and that we would become completely dependent upon you. I know, Lord, that we'll be challenged in these areas. I know that it will not be easy. But, Lord, we put our faith and our trust in you and ask you, Lord, to help us to stand firm and faithful and true in serving you and in seeking your face and in walking before you in a godly fashion. That the world would be able to see a difference between the way Christians behave and the way that the world behaves. Lord, guide us in this and uh, bring that truth home home in our own personal lives, we pray. Praise your name. If you're here this morning and don't know Christ as Savior, we just take a minute to invite you to acknowledge him as Savior because you don't become a Christian by attending church or putting money in a basket or some great sacrifice. You become a Christian simply by saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just acknowledging him as Savior. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you strongly to do that I'm convinced the days are short. I'm convinced that the Lord is near at hand. And we need to be ready for his soon return. Are you here this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me because I, I need to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. I want to know him personally. Yes. I, I want to be sure of my relationship with him. Praise God. Will you stand with me this morning and join me in prayer as we pray with those that raise their hands saying, Dear Lord Jesus... Forgive me of my sin. Deliver me from evil ways.
Teach me your ways, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have a great week.